What's up, folks? Welcome to episode two of the Redactive podcast. My name's Scott Wright. I'm an audio editor, musician, sound designer, and creator. This podcast is just simply conversations with people that I find interesting, other musicians, other artists, other creators. And look, I hope I hope you enjoyed the first episode, and uh, this is the second. This conversation is with Justin Happy Haywood, Ballarat Identity, um, and seriously, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and just an amazing talent. The stuff this guy has done and does is, is incredible. Um, super excited to, to talk to him. So let's get into this one, and this is Justin Happy Haywood. Welcome, Justin. Happy Haywood. Oh, thanks very much, Scott. Thanks for doing this. Oh, it's a pleasure to um, come into a small room with lots and lots of equipment and uh, wonder what's going on. All right, um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna read something. Right, and you're gonna probably just pull faces at me, but bear yeah. bear, bear okay. with me. Right, I'm gonna go through the list of things that you do. Okay, because you're pretty prolific. Would you agree? I um, I'd be interested to see it all spelled out all because right, I've never okay. done it. <laughs> Here we go: drummer, mm-hmm. singer, yep. songwriter, poet, performer, published author, educator, stand-up comedian, self-published. Yeah, okay. <laughs> educator. Yep. Stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. Game show host. Mm, yes, I guess that goes in there. Actor, mm. uh, raconteur, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, local personality, local personality. Gee, that makes me feel like the guy that did the weather occasionally on PTV uh, Six <laughs> News. Um, no, you're, when you're everyone more was crook. You're more the um, indie, the, the in, indie, indie personality, yep. the yep. indie personality. That yeah. guy. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we say uh, I was in the Dead Salesman and. Um, Oh, yeah. I've heard of you guys. I reckon I saw a poster of you guys once. Um, Isn't that funny? Because you guys have, ha, ha, have done and did do quite a lot. Like, you want to just, for people that probably may not know, or know a little bit but not a lot, yeah. just run through a brief, well, brief history of you and the uh, salesman. Yeah, sure. Um, in 1988... So it's like 30 years ago, I started writing songs with a fellow called Justin Ryder, or Justin Charlson was his name. My name is Justin Hayward. We developed these um, nicknames later on. And I was in year 11 and he was in year um, nine. And I was, uh, my older brother was going out with his older sister. So we were sort of, he was tagging along uh, and I was tagging along um, for some reason when they were... um, dating and uh he had this really flash red guitar and i i was writing a lot of poetry i'd i'd written a lot of poetry as a kid inspired by uncles and kind of relatives bush poetry kind of thing and um so i i really was interested in the idea of writing songs but had no musical inclinations i did play drums i uh, always played drums but that you can't uh, many people might argue you can write songs on drums but i i didn't know how so we got together in 88 and we were just spewed forth a lot of songs with him coming up with really interesting 
avant-garde notions of how to play guitar. There's no doubt about it. And um, and I was uh, writing words, and a few friends would tell me that I was like it was almost like spoken word because I hadn't learnt to sing or. Uh, so yeah, you're, that's your style. That's I always got that sort of vibe that it was. Um, it's borderline um, talking almost. I don't or, know. Is beat poetry it, it, a, a term we could use? Like, look, I'd be uh, like the beats were so awesome, and it was only years later that I watched an amazing documentary on called "Whatever Happened to Kerouac," and they interviewed the surviving beats. And um, at that time, William Burroughs was still alive, and of course, um, the famous Howe uh, poet and Lawrence Fallagetti. Fen- oh, gee, I'm terrible. People are going to um, Berl and Getty. Uh, and yeah, it was such amazing poetry. The only thing I had in common with with that is uh, that I was young and feeling quite expressive. But those those people were just incredible. I thought, sort of fighting against the conservatism of the nineteen fifties. I thought, and uh, so you were you were influenced by those guys. I think that's so. your style, the salesman style, sort of was influenced by that. Only if it was just because. They sort of had this anyone can do it thing, and I know that's been mentioned a lot with punk and and the Pistols, and you know you can just get up and and do it. And but I think those people were um, uh, just writing like whatever came to their head, and it just they were so brilliant that it sounded really good and interesting. And some of the rules were being thrown out the window, like uh, in terms of editing <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Um, the more I wrote songs, the more I edited and there were less words and it became, this is a sad thing that happens with anyone I reckon doing a craft of some description, is uh, you, you begin to know your tricks and you begin to know the tricks of the trade mm-hmm. and you lose that really wonderful naivety that that first tape we did was so, um, what was the word people used to call me, verbose, like for one word I'd use ten. But I liked that. Yeah. And then down the track, you you start using the one, mm. and um, it's uh, it's just a growth thing. But I look back and I really loved the rants, you know, and the and the way too much information sort of vibe uh, of it all. So yeah, that was a bit wayward. But that, yeah, so we did the Dead Souls and we played it uh, in pubs in in Ballarat, the Bridge Mall Inn and the Camp Hotel, and we got out to Melbourne and and did a few runs up the highway to Sydney and Adelaide and Brisbane and. Um, but we were living in a parallel universe with Ballarat. Like the, no one knew me at, uh, knew of the dead salesman unless they stumbled into that pub I found. The Bridge Mall Inn. The Bridge Mall Inn. Halcyon days. Yes. Yes, that's right. Um, and I, it was truly underground because as I said, I had a lot of friends I went to school with that didn't yep. have a clue what I was doing or didn't care and that's fine. Um, yep. yeah. That, that pub... And and I think I heard once that Ballarat was considered the Seattle. Well, it was probably early nineties, the Seattle yep. of Australia. And I also heard someone say that there was per head of population there was more musicians in Ballarat than Melbourne. Wow, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I did. And I think that yeah. it was the Bridge Mile Inn was where everyone met, and and it was. You'll never have it again. Oh yeah, I, um, I've always tried to be careful not to um, um, downplay the fact that it can happen again because I know there's many people out there 
say in their mid twenties, early twenties, late adolescence, that would like to think that these things can happen again, and they would probably justifiably say they are. Do you reckon though, with like just the amount of pubs that now are relying on pokies and yeah, um, I, I guess you can never truly have something very similar because I know before the um when was it mid eighties onwards really that things started to have a particular scene for the Bridge Mall Inn, but there was a scene before that. It was quite, you know, it it came from that 70s um, uh, Thorpey kind of, well, I'm trying to think of, um, what was the famous festival that was out in... Um, Sunbury. Sunbury. So there was a real Sunbury sound and, and things like that going yeah. on. And, and and then it got kind of replaced uh, by something else. And then by the time that, when they mentioned the Seattle of... Ballarat was a bit like Seattle. Um, the scene had been very, very, uh, what's the word? It was very different. And I, I'm sure people would say the Seattle scene was very different. It wasn't all just grunge. But um, yeah, it's hard to, to tell. I but knew we had a were... sound like Seattle had that grunge yeah, sound. Okay, Do you yeah. think we had a sound? Um, I know it was probably more eclectic. Yeah, I thought it was more like salesman, fat thing. Mavis's um, boxing tostadas, you all very different, but still, they probably were all really plugging in at that stage, and and so it was a kind of pub rock thing going on where, mm. um, you could probably find some similarities just in, in terms of the same mixes and the same people swapping instruments and playing in different bands, and um, yeah, it was very incestuous. Let's be honest. Yes, let's be <laughs> not too honest, <laughs> but yeah, oh, without a doubt. So. But that oh, was yeah. cool. Yep. You know, That's a young person's lot or something. Yeah. Um, but as I said, it was fascinating. We couldn't get any – every time I tried to get a newspaper story, like in the last 10 years, I've, I've been blessed if something to get promoted in the courier, it can happen. But back in those days, they, they didn't want to know, and I can say that safely, um, and they had no idea of what was really going on. And um, But that was what well, a conservative sort of – Township I as like. Didn't uh, I, yeah. I don't think the media, the commercial mainstream media, was ever interested. Triple B, the local public radio, different story altogether. Yeah, definitely. Um, brings yeah. to mind when the Mavis has made it big. Yep. Um, and the local radio station back announcing. The Mavis's latest single, yep, as Melbourne band The Mavis's, that's it right. boiled my blood. Really, yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I um, <laughs> yeah, Melbourne band because yeah. um, and that was the the local station. It was like incredible. Yeah, it was bizarre. Just where have only. you been? Yeah, where have you been? A few years ago, they had the best Ballarat songs competition uh, announced on three BA and. Uh, Yes, the, the DJ on the mornings. I listen to him all the time. Yeah. What's his name? Like, I listen to him. I don't listen to. Oh him. shit! See, I listen to three. <laughs> I eight. turned off years ago. Hits I can't and do memories. it anymore. I'm a, um, I'm a podcast and a Spotify man. Okay, yeah, audio books. All right. Yeah. Well, they, well, they had a thing where they had people vote, and the Mavis has won, which was good that some people out there remembered them, and, and yeah. we got in there somewhere. But this fellow had a picture in the courier holding these CDs, which had never would have been for a duster if they were ever yeah. sent to three VA. <laughs> I thought that was kind of nice in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Ballarat was 
They're very vibrant and the art scene. I always got to remember that the, the two collided, like the visual arts and the dramatic arts, and uh, they were all meshed together because a lot of our audiences were artists. Uh, art students. And art students. Yeah. So when the um, art school at um, the uni and at SMB was going off, that was yeah. that was a key element to um, success of Ballarat bands being able to play to people. And we used to love going out to Fed Uni. Well, it wasn't called Fed Uni. It was BCAE and then Ballarat University where you'd go and see um, painters and dockers. You'd get some fantastic Melbourne acts down. And they'd usually put on a Ballarat support. You'd drink white, white wine for 70 cents a cup. And, and a pot of Moselle. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, wow, this is such a great yeah. night. And it, they really were. And um, when I went back as a mature age student, I noticed just how Freaking dead. So you went back to teaching? Uh, the end. Well, I was 28 or something. Yeah. Uh, yep. Hanging around the university. And even by then, so this is um, late um, 90s, I was noticing early 2000s that uh, none of that was really going on. Well, not to the degree it used to mm. at universities. And those social clubs had dried up and they'd uh, obviously realised that um, they didn't want to pay these Musicians uh, and a lot of the social activities seemed to die. So that was the first sign of watching flies dropping off the wall was the universities no longer having that real social bands and, thing and as they well. Were, like you said, they were critical. They were, I reckon. Like the and pubs were, were great, but they couldn't sustain. You'd argue we're a university town. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, I noticed that first and foremost going, okay, so that sense of community sort of, passing on or passing away um and that for me was it was very interesting to go back as a early 30 student remembering 10 years earlier or even five years earlier when um yeah there was just thursday night who would go out on thursday night out to the university but they would i don't oh, remember God. if they had buses or not i remember going out wednesday thursday, wednesday, Friday, thursday Saturday, then sunday session Sunday session. There you go. You're right. I remember and, um, mixing the tostados down at the camp oh, hotel wow. on a on a Sunday afternoon. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I, I don't want to get into that. Uh, oh, those days were oh yeah wonderful. Um, you, you could spend yeah. You, we it's could a trap. It's a rabbit hole. <laughs> Let's not do that. Mm. Um, but we're going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What? Yeah. Because no. like my idea for this at least this series of podcasts was. Talking to um, Ballarat people that have been successful, at least in my eyes, mm. to some oh, extent. Glad you yeah, qualified that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you and obviously Paul Wiltshire were, yeah, uh, for me, up there. Sadly, I can't speak to two, um, Wayne Kilbourne and Jamie Keane, because yep. they've since passed on. Um, but, yeah, that was the idea, just just to talk to to people that have influenced me or I think have been successful um, in the Ballarat music scene. But yeah. not just that. I'm going to expand that into arts. and Sure. Yeah. But, yeah, that's interesting when you mentioned the, uh, the way Ballarat worked was the crossover factor was incredible. Like working uh, when I was still in high school, the first real band I was in was with Jamie and Chuck. And we played in a church. We I played See, and I, I played drums. Now I've seen video footage of that. Oh wow, Medax, I think they were called Medax. Medax, and we played like ACDC in this church. Now you wouldn't be, you wouldn't, you'd not be aware of this, but Medax no. continued on. 
Oh, how dare they? Now, when, no, Paul, man, now when Paul, Jamie and I were living in Collingwood, yep. Easy Street, Collingwood. Oh, God, yeah, I remember that street. Um, I reckon, eh? We, uh, Medax was reborn yeah, right. as a purely recording entity. Were you on drums? Oh, no, no. This was all, this was all um, digital. Oh. Early days of, of MIDI. Right. Um, some fantastic songs came out of that. One particularly of note called Felching Frenzy. Well, <laughs> totally remind inappropriate. Me to go- remind no, me not to Google that when I get home. You will not find that anywhere. Yeah, don't <laughs> you stick that. You probably will find it. But yeah, it, won't be what, it won't be a Medex song. <laughs> no, it won't. It'll certainly be licensed to lose my teaching license. Oh, if I, uh, good Lord. Uh, so yeah. You can, you can um, say it safely had nothing to do with that entity of Medex. Yeah, you, wow. You were um, an earlier incarnation. This is There you go. It got dark. Um, well, shit. No, <laughs> I guess it was just um, ACD covers, ACDC covers, and things like yeah. that, and the final countdown of Chock doing the keyboard line. Um, but we're, we're literally children, so um, that's so very this, cool. I was a little bit confused when I was thinking about that with ideas to talk about with you today. Yep. Um, knowing that I'd seen that footage, but see, I thought you guys went to different schools. I thought you were a St Paul's boy. No, see, I went to St. Paul's for year seven and eight. Yeah. And it depressed me so immensely that my parents... No girls. Well, <laughs> to be honest, and this, um, for different reasons, I think the no girls is, was a true factor. St. Columbus, we were all um, boys and girls, and uh, it was great. And St. Paul's, uh, it was just opposite the um, train station there still in Whittier Street. It was fucking horrible. It really was. They, like, if you weren't a tradey type of kid and what you were doing there was learning something of a trade and then they would hopefully send you off at the end of year 10 or you had the opportunity to join St. Pat's if you had a kind of academic academic yeah. thing, which, you know, they didn't get a massive proportion, but it was there and some people might argue that there was always there. So, And I couldn't – I just – it wasn't me. Like, I was writing um, – Plays and, and stuff and, and songs and things in primary school and, and cartoons, cartoons of the principal on the wall and stuff. When you got to St. Paul's, it was they cut your hair for starters. Mm. Never had short hair before. Um, I got nicknamed Gaywood in about the second week. And, I, 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 and you know, and that's like as Were a young Were you sort person. of artistic then? Oh, look, I think I must have just Were sort just, of but you had a particular aura about me that just wasn't tough. In that traditional sense. See, I copped it too. Like, I, did, I didn't play, I wasn't interested in sports at all. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. I mean, in year seven, because there were so many sport heads, I went and hung out with the year nines, the musos. Yeah, right. Because that's what I was interested in. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think especially early on, the kids, mm. you know, they, they can read. You're different to me. Yeah, they can pick up the differences. There was no music I can mention. There was a lady, Mrs. Bodle, God bless her, who would teach us the um, um, uh, the recorder. Oh, fuck. I knew you were going to say recorder. Yeah, fuck. (laughs) And that was the most unmusical instrument in the planet, I would have to say. But again, I might be, uh, you might get some horrible comments on your feed. You're not wrong. (laughs) It was terrible. So, yeah, I went to high school and everything changed. Like, same deal. Went to the music room. Freaks all hanging out there, and it was the time when was that Don Kirby? 
Was he? Yeah. Now Don yeah. Kirby started teaching me drums, so yeah. I started. Um, we tried to. I was so hopeless at it, but I loved going. I ended up um, really struggling to to learn charts and things. But Hoppy, uh, David, David Hopwood, yep. he was one of the greatest drummers I've ever known. And then years switched later, to find guitar. out he's, he switched to guitar, and he's and and he was one of the greatest, greatest guitarists. guitarists. So this proves my theory yeah. that people and are, now doesn't play, I believe. Yeah, right. I think he, you might be right. I ran into him um, in the supermarket probably a year ago, and I, I said to him about uh, how I, I couldn't get over how excellent a drummer he was and then switched and then he said yeah he uh he wasn't doing much of it and um so yeah i remember those types of people um and a few others some mavis types like andrew vendy uh, simon stewart was his name bass player and danny van kelken who's a really good friend of mine still yep um all playing guitars in the and it was so linked with art if they weren't doing it in don kirby's um drum room we were doing it in the art room so you know, and and listening to paper, someone would have a tape of some cool post-punk English band, you know, like Joy Division or, or something deliberately um, hard to to comprehend at first listen. Echo and the Bunnymen, all these cliches. The Smiths. That was is a whole podcast I won't go into. So, but you guys were in into that stuff mm. um, almost before they were big. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like the Smiths split up in '87, and. Um, you know, and they were the, the, the almost words, really. I mean, again, they were massive in England eventually and they probably oh, they definitely were at the time. Like They were bigger after the fact. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yep. definitely. Same with the go-betweens. Like the Australian uh, go-betweens and the Triffids, um, we really loved them because they just sounded so weird. And, um, um, and sure enough, decades later I watched Triple J um, – you know, praising the go-betweens and those guest concerts where they get all these young hip things doing. And a part of doing me... The, doing the tribute to Yeah, the, yeah. A part of me feels a bit shitty about it. I yeah. don't know why, because they were our uh, weird little... Yeah, you get the point. millennial, uh, you get the hipster thing going on. Oh, I knew them before they were fake, you know. You do, you can't help it. Yeah. I remember Robert Forster... Well, I'm into this it, band, you've probably never heard of them, and, that sort of... Yeah, exactly. And that's... I know that helps with your identity and that helps with your um your character in a way and so to suddenly have that um given to everybody yeah no <laughs> How don't share they? you don't want to share how dare they so, uh, I think that's what is pretty special about some bands yeah um is that you don't want to share them like if you discover them yeah you, ha- you have ownership on them that's right Velvet Underground was another one. Ryder, the guitarist, he was played me the the Banana album, and the cliche is that no one bought the Velvet Underground records, but everyone who ever heard them started a band, and that was the thing about the Velvet Underground. Like mm. they influenced from Sonic Youth to who else you could mention to the Pixies, the Breeders, whatever, to maybe Nirvana. I don't know, but they just seemed to be the gateway that sold shit. Um, but People were silently, quietly listening, going, yeah, I'm going to pick up an instrument. Some would argue the, the first manufactured band. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, but, um, and put together as a sort of art installation. Or, or did that come later? Because, you know, it's like, yeah, Kale on his own, amazing. Who was it? So you'll have to run me through it. I know Nico. Yep. Kale, uh, Lou Reed. Yep. And look, I... All I know but is Warhol that was behind him, yeah. Warhol was behind um, 
I reckon he was because they were all hanging out. They were all hanging out, and he said, "Well, just, let's put them all together." And they were the house band, and yeah. again, it's sort of similar to what can happen later on in uh, where the house band are performing for artists. So the mixture of art and mm. music, heavy, I think, yeah, heavy, very heavy. I love John Cale, and I've only really discovered him um, in the last couple of years. His solo work, mm. yeah, and. Um, yeah, he's an amazing entity in himself. The fact that he, him, Lou Reed actually were in the same room doing stuff for a while was quite fascinating. So yeah, um, was a, yeah. So the Velvet Underground for me were were that great hidden secret it seemed, and then um, things exploded from there. But um, and yeah, the art, the beats, the, like that that was very linked with them too. All that all those beat poets, Ginsberg, they were all hanging out. That's in, right, in the Andes, yeah, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and the tragic figure, and one of my favourites from the factory was Edie Sedgwick. Yeah, amazing and fuck beautiful, just yeah. stunning. Yeah, absolutely stunning, and just kind of used as the muse until the muse isn't used anymore. She and was. Do you, I got that too. Like just yeah. used up and and sort of spat out. Yeah, just you know took as many drugs as the rest, but um, just kept trying to keep up and uh, wasn't being looked after, wasn't being appreciated. And Dylan, that's one real blind spot for Dylan officiados. You don't talk about his influence there because he um, just was another one of the guys who uh, mm. uh, sort of fell in love with her and, and got a few <laughs> help. I think tunes. they all did. Yeah, they? got yeah. a few good tunes out of her yeah. and um, yeah. uh, moved on. One of my favourite um, cult songs is Edie. Yeah, right. Have you oh, ever heard it's it? beautiful, yeah. yeah. It's on the big ballady oh, ones, it's isn't fantastic. it? Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I reckon the film clip has him pouring um whiskey down the sink or something. I've might, got a vague memory. Oh god, might do. It's big power yeah, drums and taking me back to um three o'clock rage sessions yeah. or MTV. Um I didn't know it was about her. I was that yeah. stupid, but now yeah. it all makes total sense. Yeah. Um yeah, the cult coming to Festival Hall in um, wherever it was in the late 80s. My mates went. Missed it. Yeah, Danny Van Kalken went and came back and said, you know, that was so great. Mm -hmm. Billy Duffy, who was in a band with Morrissey, all that sort of business. Bullshit. So, really? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, Billy Duffy um, was in a band with Morrissey called The Nosebleeds and they kicked Morrissey out because he was a penchant pain in the ass. And then Billy Duffy... Um, Went on to his thing. So you know this about Morrissey, but you love him still, don't you? Yeah. Is it a love-hate thing with him? Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. Especially in later years, he seems to be a... Oh, he just seems to court controversy for the sake of it, where I always thought is there he, was a reason behind it. But is maybe he tr just trying to hang on to relevance, maybe? Do you but, get that? See, this is the thing why I find him so interesting, because he says things and does things that really annoy me, but I, I still think that he hasn't really changed the... um. He hasn't changed the. Uh, uh, he hasn't changed him at all. Like he was the one that said the queen is dead. Fuck royalty. He was the one that said stop eating meat. Meat is murder. Um, he was putting his neck out there all the time. Mm. But he still kind of does. But people just, it's just more and more dangerous. And one of these days that neck gets wobbed off. But as far especially as especially nowadays, especially nowadays, like we're so divisive. Um, that's right. And he, so he isn't really changing. It's that classic, has the world changed or have I changed is one of his lines. Yeah. And, um, 
Yeah, the world's changing, and I, I kind of feel that he has always been a, um, a headline-making um, uh, agitator. But it's, it's true of him. Yeah, but it's true of him, and I, I just that's, find it hard. Maybe that's just him, and that's what uh, he does. I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm prone to do that too, especially yes, on social media. That's right. I like to push buttons. Yes. Yeah, and um, hey, we I still think we need people out there, but I um, it's sad because as a teenager you have your first musical loves, and um, I think you just uh, I still play the Smiths way too often, especially after some drinks, and and dive back in there. But, so uh, that's Friday night for you usually in the shed at home, the red was. wine. Yeah, no, it was, and, and yeah, Smiths. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot of Smiths, but then you get onto other stuff like the folky stuff, like Buddy John Prine or um, Towns Van Zant or even Buddy Chris Christopherson. If I'm really going wow, crazy, you feel quite country. Yeah, it's bizarre our country. But that's, I mean, I think we're pretty similar in that we just like music. Yeah, that's right. I mean, my overall preference would be on the heavier side. Yeah, but I appreciate it all. Yep. I mean, fuck, if you saw my CD collection, LP collection, there's Enya in there for fuck's sake. Yep. Like, who listens to Enya? But, hey. Um, I do. Yeah, well, well, there you go. haven't for years, but, you know. Um, yeah, I can say a similar thing with many, many acts and artists. From, uh, it's just something that attracts you. The Cranberries, that they're my Enya. That first two albums of the Cranberries really moved me. And mm. Beautiful Irish singer. Um, Dolores singing these pop songs. Oh, uh, it's quite, quite heartbroken to hear about her demise. And um, and I think they, it was a complete accident, wasn't it? In it the end? sounds like it in the end. You I know, don't know the full story. Yeah. I don't know the full story, but she's alone. She's do, drinking a lot, and she's overdosing on pills, and she's had a history of depression. And yeah, you, it just leaves a spectrum of um, of uh, what happened really. Mm. But um, yeah, there's an interesting concert of her on the Tiny Desk concert, and she looks bloody like she's having a really hard time. But and she sings with a bit of a croak in her voice, but it's still really authentic and worth checking out. Are you are you comfortable talking about mental health? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, because I find I'm just going to top up our red wines <laughs> here for the listener at home that's hearing that. We might get a bit heavy here. We may not. I know. No. Um, depression, mental illness, and the artist. Yep. Sort of goes hand in hand. Yeah. I, I, Do you reckon art comes from a place that's there? You know, it's like it's it's you need that depression to fuel your art. I think there's a danger in art, and that's why it's so enticing to me. And that danger is to um, break from the common thought and the common action of getting up and going to work and doing everything right and turning on the TV and watching the news. And, and so that alternative path can lead to creativity and can lead to expression and satisfaction in that. But I think it's a double-edged sword where you're opening yourself up to... Uh, to for me, I think I'm talking about depression yeah. and um, yeah. and all that business because you, it's a thoughtful process. And let's face it, when we use our minds for that kind of thinking, how can you not walk away uh, 
without feeling depressed. If you're analysing life and love and and history and humankind and you want to express your, your little version of it, how can you not be deeply affected by its horror, its um, uh, its uh, lack of humanity, its um, unpredictable uh, sorrow? <laughs> so, and, and even with comedy, I still find the same thing. Um, uh, so, yeah, well, I, I, think, I just think there's a there's a gateway. I probably think you find that a lot of comedians are super. They have issues. Yeah. Because there's that thing like the gallows humour, isn't there? Yeah. Um, well, uh, Bill Hicks, I know, was he suffered from it. Yep, yep. Um, we all know about Robin Williams now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you look at all the greats like Richard Pryor yep. had such a horrendous, like it was funny how he's kind of, They'd put in the footnotes of Richard Pryor's life, the fact that he was um, living in a brothel and uh, he was raped as a child and um, he's, you know, he, he was there every night uh, in the whorehouse, you know, cleaning up the rooms. And, uh, you know, oh, Jesus Christ. It's just unbelievable. But he just came out and he um, used him. So you reckon some of it's using humour as a, as a mask? Um. I wonder whether using humour is a is a fucking weapon in your hand. Sometimes I reckon, because like some I of the stuff it. you got away with. And I use my, like I'm been told I'm quite I'm quite scathing and, and um, extremely sarcastic. Mm-hmm. But it's such a duality, though I reckon. Like I, I yeah, well, I've known. Known you for a lifetime, but hardly known you because we're always on the fringes of each other's lives, really. Yeah. But but I can see the duality, the flip of the coin there, where I read something, read something and I know that's you, and yeah. I know that's you. Just yeah. like there might be some terrible um, news story, but you're usually, in my opinion, um, uh, poking holes in the hypocrisy of people's reactions to it, or mm. and things like that. So you kind of like. Um, uh, you know, it's you're all great. That, you're all here. All too soon. Yeah, yeah all that sort of thing. Where there's also, well, I, I just see a, a person who uh, is quite thoughtful and quite quiet, and uh, and you know, all that sort of business. Oh, ask my wife. I hardly speak at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. I'm a thinker. Yeah. I, I don't. And this is why podcasts for me are interesting. Because yeah, I and I have this weird thing hat where I I I don't finish sentences. And that oh, I do the exact yeah. same, and it pisses people off. Yeah, I expect other people to finish it because right. I grew up with my mother mm-hmm. finishing my sentences for me. Wow, because <laughs> she's got the other way. She she likes to um, guess what people are going to say yep. and, and finish for them. Yeah. So I grew up with that. So sometimes I'll just sort of um, get through. Oh, there you go. Yep. It pisses people <laughs> off. Uh, uh, I do it all the time, and yeah. yeah, my kids even pick up and just just finish what you were going to say. When I just realise, I'm just sort of hoping everything works out for the best. So you just put something out there and hope someone can finish it for you, because that means they're they're okay. I noticed I was watching the Joe Rogan podcast with um, Elon Musk the other day, and I noticed that Elon Musk does the same thing. Right. I'm not saying I'm any. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he leaves. He, yeah, and he'll do this weird nod. Like you understand, don't you? Ah. Like without actually having to finish anything. Yep. Yeah. 
Well, I, I try to come up with a joke and I'm sure if, you know, when you come up with stuff and you go, look, it's been done before. I just don't know how and when, like a melody or a That's lyric. That's isn't it? Like, and it happens with jokes because I said there's two types of people in this world, people who, who finish what they start. And that was it. And I did it on stage and I was shit. Like, people just didn't. I got it instantly. Oh, there you go. <laughs> People were just waiting for me to get on with it. Like, hello. <laughs> yeah, that's the joke. Anyway. Oh, and you don't want to have to explain your joke. Well, there's nothing yeah. worse than even I, having to gesture. Like, do you know that that is actually that's turned around on its head now? Because that's true. You don't want to explain a joke because it's it means everything's going to shit. But so many comedians, and I'm prone to use it as an amateur comedian. Um, you do that exactly. But you you're go a pro, pro now. You're getting paid for gigs. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, twenty bucks here, fifty bucks there, yeah, whatever. But um, people do that now because that is there, and I've seen really big acts go. Oh, okay, you didn't get that. Well, okay, well there you go, and they do a whole shtick on that. So they flip it. Yeah, yeah. flip it. That's right. That's the exact word. Which is cool. Yeah. Why not? Sometimes you got to. Sometimes you got to flip it. Yep. Whip it. Or just call the crowd stupid and. And walk off in yeah, a half, and just abuse which I'm them. yet to do. But uh, oh, really? Oh no, yeah, I, I'm, no, I'm a, I'm what a please everybody. All right. So, have you ever had one of those gigs where you just want to die? Yeah, like you've died, and then yep. you want to die. Yep. And it's always really significant. The gig I was getting, um, the trades hall. Brett Edgerton was getting me to, um, yep. Uh, the grand final day was a big deal for all the unions to come together, and. Um, Footy, and they'd have footy stars like Peter Crackers Keen and uh, Kevin Sheedy, um, all these big, big names from my childhood uh, at the North Barrett Club. And I did it first year and I got away with it. And then the second year I um, I just died. I just died on stage and they they, they just didn't like me. And fair, fair enough in hindsight, I just um, I wasn't delivering that traditional kind of footy show. Uh, but you love footy. Yeah, yeah, You're I a know. Big fan. Yeah, that's right. But I think I, Did I, you... just, I just, I hadn't quite. Um, yeah, I took to task Kevin Sheedy talking about Tony Lockett because I grew up knowing the Lockett family and my brother played with him and, yep. and I had a few too many drinks and, and Kevin Sheedy said, you know, there should be a, a, a statue of Tony Lockett in, in the middle of fucking Lake Windery or somewhere. <laughs> so I got up. It was my turn to do a bit, and I said, Kevin, with all due respect, that would. Tony Lockett would hate that, like, it's, it's, and he would. I just know, like, he's been running his whole life from his talent in some way. Oh, I should be careful what I mean by that. He's not. All I mean was he he was incredibly talented footballer and one of the greats. But it was never him to to want that. I could just I could say it, that after a few drinks, whether I'm right or it, wrong. It didn't suit him. No, but you don't go and tell Kevin Sheedy's that he's no, wrong. Look. Well, I, I will say he was very generous to me the year before, before I um, insulted him. Like, uh, at the end of the night, they had all the footy players come up on stage to get photographs. And he said, come up here, Justin. And it was, it was, it was just a dream gig, that one. And just a year later, I um, it's a fickle beast, yep. um, sports nights. Yep. And, how, um, how do you find the stand-up as opposed to the um, singing, performing? Um. I I really have trouble with stand-up. Like I did it because I always wanted to do it and I got into the national competition of Raw and it was really exciting. Yeah. But after that I realised that it really does take some commitment and um, and it does take some failure where 
I personally believed a, a failed song or a failed gig, there was more buffering going on, whether it was instruments or crowds coming in and out, not particularly listening. But there's nothing that beats you standing there with a microphone and um, being totally... Uh, uh, naked, naked, and afraid, yeah. and all that, and all, yeah, and um, and so I quite often will go three or four months without doing anything, and then I'll just pop. I'm doing something in St Kilda on Monday night. Yeah, the tap house again. Yeah, I love the tap house. I had my fortieth there. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a fantastic great room. Yeah. Great beers, and this woman Janet McLeod is a former Ballarat Ballaratian who um has been running this comedy night for fourteen years at the tap house. Wow. So all I know is to come up with five minutes, and if I'm really failing, four minutes. If I'm doing really well, six or seven minutes, and um, then I won't do it again for another couple of months. Yeah. So it's not. You like, find it's an itch that you've got to scratch occasionally. I've heard that. Yeah, some use, like it's like uh, herpes. It doesn't go away. Well, that's right. I think you you, you can stop <laughs> scratching if you get the right cream, but <laughs> you, you come back to it. Yeah. But I'm not the type of person looking for a stage. Every night of the week, like some of your really famous, really skilled, really amazing comedians are, I think it's just a, a, a little bit of a release. And when I say amateur comedian, I really, I do mean it in not a derogatory way. It's like this is like um, someone who can hit a decent golf ball having a game once every couple of months. <laughs> really? Well, yeah. When uh, I told my wife that you were coming around to do the podcast tonight, she goes. Oh, he's the teabag guy. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Like she she knows who you are from the Bridge Mall in days because yeah, she yeah. was one of the regulars also. But yeah, um, yeah, the teabag. That's a great anecdote. It was a that was a great story because what I'd done, I'd put together a whole bunch of teaching jokes, and I won the Ballarat equivalent of the Raw competition with them. And I went to Melbourne, and it was a bit like when. Uh, Homer gets to the city and uh, and things are a lot tougher. So yeah. I did the same routine for the next quarter final, whatever they were calling them, yep. and I didn't win. And um, I just went back and you know dusted myself off and thought, yeah, I can see that. Um, and then I got a phone call to be a um, uh, to come back and have another crack at it. I'm trying to think, there's an actual word. It's like for a wild card. It. Oh, it's a wild card. Yeah, cool. And they said it's happening in two days. And so I went, well, I'm not going to go back and do the same routine because it, it didn't win. So you wrote bits in two days. I, yeah, I wrote that. Well, I came up with that teabag one basically because it's 85% true. Yep. And No, you don't tell me that. Oh, oh, well, I didn't get it. Edit. 100% true. Um, <laughs> look, maybe 85 is a, a bit too small. The, the only elements that aren't true is that I wasn't called into the principal's office. Um, I don't care as long as it. you telling the and student. the boy uh, and the and the guy Gavin, his name was real, which caused me a little bit of heartache because I wasn't thinking at the time. Maybe it would have been a good idea to change that, but he was a real sport. I met him years later, and he was working at La Paqueta at the end of that sketch. This won't make any sense to anyone who's and um, he didn't put his penis into in my pizza, so it's really good. about ninety eight percent accurate because they shouldn't do that. Look, you know, there was a time and a place when it was all quite fun and interesting to eat a pe penis pizza, but um, those days are over, man. Apparently. Um, yeah. So I want to talk about um, back to the Bridge Mall Inn, mm -hmm. the, the rivalry between the Camp Hotel 
and the Bridge Mall Inn. And they were fun. That was fun. I remember when Lawrence and Pete were running the camp. Yep. Um, I remember the cricket games. You don't get that. I, I can't imagine you'd get that anymore. No, I think the Eastern Hotel where I, I some good mates took took over that. That's Matt, yeah? Yeah, that's yep. right. He was talking about trying to do that with Corova. And the only real thing about Corova is that um, it's a very successful and much loved and um, great thing to have. But it's a not, it's not a pub. And so they were thinking about trying to do a few things that would work with each other, and maybe they can. But I remember the camp would actually book an act that would finish at 11 o'clock um, so the crowds could go up to the bridge yeah. all the time to go. And that's what I mean. It was like just between those two pubs, there was the rivalry, but the, uh, the friend, like everyone got along. There and was, supported each other, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and I'm sure that is the case. It's just harder for these venues to be able to do that these days because it's a different time. Yeah, it's a different I mean, the time. All the hospo cats get along. They all drink together on a on a hospo night. Yeah, Sunday night. That's you know. Yeah. But I just yeah, there's something about those days that resonate with me, I guess. And maybe it's nostalgia. Oh look, for sure, for same. Like I just used to love going to pubs as a young person and just sitting in that bar, listening to old men talking and and smoking a fag and and. Uh, and having absolutely no money, but still managing somehow. Um, I don't know how we did it. Beers. Yeah, I have no idea how we did that. How did I mean, that work. Well, actually, I just think I know how I did it because I was on the dole. Yeah, same. But I was also working with a couple of bands. Okay. Um, and not actually playing, so I was, I was taking a, um, a fee for booking gigs. Oh yeah. And yeah. I was taking a roadies fee. Nice. So I was doing better than Musos. I bet. Because <laughs> we ran a couple of those bands like businesses and yeah. man, geez, years later I was like, shit, I was making more than the Musos and that doesn't seem fair to me, but I was never going to argue with it. Yeah, no, look, uh, there was just some times when I remember um, the pub would come up and say, we've got to pay the mixer and we'd all go on with nothing. And, you know, I just I just thought, well, you know, it wouldn't have happened without the mixer and if it's the pub's mixer, they've got to look after him and that's all fine. But nowadays they're on wages. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't come out of your cut. Well, it shouldn't. No. Nowadays. The only kind of gripe I have, and and alcohol has been an up and down thing for me where it's binging and purging and and all sorts of things. And um, I think in hindsight that we were um, just given so much piss instead of money. And and that kind of leverage can develop some pretty bad habits, you know. But basically, I would say I was spent from seventeen to twenty-seven um, drunk uh, and playing music because that was the that was our pay. Mm. Really, it really was. It yeah. really, and we were quite happy with that because what else was a young guy going to want or do? Go to a pub and you drink endless pots. And um, have a blast, get home and do it all again. And just been in hindsight. Kick I on. Think. Yeah, have, it's a kick on. Is that a Ballarat term? Are we going to claim that? I reckon we should because my mate Shep Huntley, who named me Happy Hayward because of my um, depressing shenanigans when I was living with him, um, I believe it came from him. Um, 
Yeah, I really do believe it's a kick on. It was like that recent thing about the bocca. Did you read about that? About a bocca haircut? Yeah. That was. I never knew that that was exclusively a Ballarat thing. That Fuck came off. from no. Explain this to me. Okay, so the bocca, which I remember people getting when I was a kid. Oh, you got a bocca on you. Apparently, this was a Ballarat expression. Well, they've tried to tie it back, like uh, to Ballarat, and no other. History was there a dude called Bocco who got a particularly bad haircut one day? If I Google it, there was a, it was short for something, but it had something to do for sure with the word. But it just stuck like shit to a blanket, as my father would say. I never really know why he would say that one, but because he had a bad experience once. <laughs> but yeah. Let's just leave that. There. Let's just leave that there. But <laughs> Bocca was a Ballarat thing. I think it's a kick on a Ballarat thing. Yeah, yeah, we'll own it. We'll take it. Why not? Yep, it's ours. Yeah. What else is particularly Ballarat? Um, yeah, well, that was the thing about Probably going to limit our audience, podcast audience, greatly oh, here, but give us yes. a fuck. Yeah, no, that's right. Well, we can say that I was told when you were talking about these things you heard about Ballarat, I knew that the unemployment rate, uh, especially from the time I was unemployed, and the suicide rate has always been a, an issue. And sure enough, there's a lot of reasons that we can put down to Seasonal affective disorder, perhaps? Yeah, and plus the whole um, Catholic Church thing. I believe that is just another factor for historical suicide and things like that, I believe. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Mm. But when we were just going, oh, I wonder why, you know. Sure, winters are tough and they do have a massive influence. Being at St Paul's, you would have come across some dodgy priests. I only came across really like aggression and physical harm, really. And so, you know, you just gotta you just gotta go, wow, that that's I got off pretty easy. Because I know people that, that didn't and that from our ladies help of Christians where I was an altar boy. Um I went to St. Columbus, but we'd go because we lived in Wendery to our ladies help of Christians and there's a priest there I remember um he ended up getting no names, no pack drill, but he had abused children and um I just Dodged the bullet because we were around him all the time. But I've spoken to at least two people and uh, I totally believe him because this guy was kind of creepy. But the only thing that I really did suffer from was just getting um, hurt. Really? Yeah. By um, just the strap and the and the the hand and the for the fist and the metal ruler and they they just they could do what the fuck they wanted. And they weren't always, to be fair, Christian brothers. They were your layman teachers at St. Paul's too. Oh, just getting in on the action. Well, yeah, that was their way of discipline. I can't remember having to be dis- you know, disciplined that much. I mean, there was corporal punishment for sure. That's right. That's it, yeah. But, you know, um, there's a limit. There's a limit. Father. There's one story that always I recall being with my father at Wendery Village not wearing my um, St. Paul's... Um, Blazer, and uh, a teacher comes over and talks to me and my father and says, "Hello, Justin. Hello, Mister Hayward." And, and my dad and this guy are talking about local footy or something. And um, yeah, it must have been a really hot day because I know still today with some of the um, more posh schools, you have to wear your blazer, don't you, through thick or thin. He whipped me the next day, and I think, oh, the, wow. yeah, the thing that really stuck with me was the um, insidious nature of this relationship and chat he was having with my father and um and him taking it out on me and so of course I'd never say that to my dad and and this is just a small thing so you, 
you know, you can times by 5,000 what it would be like to um, be in a situation like that if you were actually sexually abused, let alone mm. you know, slapped around a bit. But, yeah, so, but apart from that, that was, uh, <laughs> I don't know how we got onto that. How did we get onto that? Oh, I don't fucking know now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the good thing about conversations. That's right. And that's what I like about um, this type of podcast. Like, it's just, it's just talking. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, so, well, back to that whole mental health thing. Um and how it's driven perhaps by art. Um, look, I've, I mean, you, you're, it's no secret, you don't hide the fact that you've suffered yeah, dep- no. depression or. Yeah, no, I, I, and that's why I was trying to ease up a bit on Friday nights. I was, I was really unhappy with my job as a teacher. So I was getting blind I on got Friday that. nights. Yeah. Yep. And, and you spill, and this is the one regret I have. It's very easy. And people sometimes come up and say, look, I thought it was really brave what you said on Facebook the other week. And I thought. But I think it is, Hap. I don't think you should. I, I don't, don't think so if you've got a gut full of piss. You know what I mean? Like that's what took me a gut full of piss to talk about those sorts of things. So yeah. that's, that's the only thing where I, I go, well, thank you for that. But I really do think it. Um, uh, it would be nice to be able to do these things without these crutches, I guess. To talk about it openly without having to use well, alcohol or... Having to, yeah, to yeah. continue sort of damaging yourself in some yeah. way. So there's been times where I've looked back and gone, look, I'm glad I expressed that and got that out of my system. But I, think yeah. it's, I think it's healthy, man. Like, you know, I've, I've had that black dog. Mm-hmm. At the moment, it's a little chihuahua. Well, that's always good, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's in, in the past been a, a fucking Doberman or a Rottweiler, and it's just like, yep. do terrible things to yourself. Yeah, yeah. And now it's just the little chihuahua going. Occasionally, you'll just go, "Hey, chico, hurt yourself." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just kick it away. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, fuck off. Yeah, and, um, and I don't know if people were honest. I'd imagine that most people could could totally associate with that yeah i i i i do um it's it's a constant thing and it really it does it's just ever present all the time there's no doubt about it i've been on antidepressants um all different um uh antidepressants and i'm just again trying to wean off that because do that I don't think they're good. Yeah, like nearly over no, no, 12 gonna... years. No, that's fine. But over 12 years, I go to a GP who doesn't really know me because I've always never been that um, – and this isn't like the generation of our parents where they they had the same GP their whole yeah, lives. Yeah. We go to people who – I was usually just wanting a, a certificate so I didn't want to teach teenagers you know, tomorrow because I, I was that depressed with work. And yeah. they'd say, well, we've got to up your, um, <laughs> up your meds and – I was making comedy routines about it, just going in saying, "Oh, I want a certificate, man. Don't up my meds, because uh, I'm yeah, walk- don't give me the drugs. I don't." Yeah, well, that's it. But I walk into uh, into work like uh, Jack Nicholson at the end of One Fly the Cookies Nest, just fucking, just completely <laughs> drug hammered, just to get through. Yeah. And then uh, Friday nights would be, I would buy a bottle of red wine, a six pack of beer, anything else that might have come to hand through any mates. But and and then yeah, you're off and running, and you just the rest of the weekend I wasn't able to um, uh, be emotionally present for my kids. You'd, you'd run around and you'd do what you have to do. But it was a, it was a nasty cycle. So, yeah, I had a break from, 
from that and sort of take a bit of responsibility for these feelings because I think you have to in the end. Um, so there is a lot of bravery out there when it comes to mental illness for people who have to um, do something about it mm. because, fuck, if you don't, there's just... Well, you know, the, the mm. booze is probably just what they classically call self-medicating, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. I, I just think it's just that you're a guinea pig. You're a human guinea pig. And one thing I will qualify is that you're not meant to drink on this shit either. So I, I'm, they're giving me these um, this medication where you're taking two to three pills in the morning. And then you're going to buy and a then you're bottle of red. Buy a bottle of red yeah. and chuck that on top of it. And yeah. I'm wondering why things aren't quite working out the way they should. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's just a crapshoot. So I would go in and w- without any real testing, I'd say to the doctor, can I try another one? Because I just don't think this is working. Different brand, different... They'll just write it out. And so you go to the chemist and you come home with a whole, you know, you had Pepsi, now you have Coke or whatever, and you just put... Not, not which way. Yeah. You're just a, a human guinea pig. And our modern lives make it difficult for us to really spend a lot of time to, to get the right help. Uh, and, and sure enough, they give you a, what do they call it, a mental health plan. If you have, I made a joke out of this where you, if you ever filled out one of these when they uh, have 10 questions to sort of check how depressed you are. And it's one to ten, and it's like I I constantly have have sad thoughts, or um, I I constantly find it hard to calm down. Oh God, yeah. Um, and so you fill it out one to ten, but I I my comedy sketch went. I just wrote I am the um, I am the uh, uh I am the Antichrist or something. I wrote all over it. <laughs> I, I am the Angel of Death all over it, and handed it back to him. He said, Oh, okay, right. Yeah, okay. We better up your dose. Or then they'll give you a um. They'll give you a, a, a suggestion to go and see a, a psychologist for 10 sessions. Mm. Free or yeah. pretty free. Yeah. And then after that. You're on your own. So, yeah, I made more comedy about the fact that after these sessions, uh, session 10, Doc, I'm starting to really feel quite together now yeah. because I realise Yeah, because I can't afford this If shit. I book next week, it's going <laughs> to actually cost me $300, where it's been cost me 17.5 on this little plan I've had. So, right. so back to my original <laughs> argument that, oh, yes. that art and and um, <laughs> comedy are actually quite cathartic. Oh, definitely to the depressed soul. Yeah, yeah. No, I had a really, and uh, it goes hand in hand. I think they do, and I haven't had the guts to do this real gallo humours one. But uh, you know, I was really sick and tired. No, you of, should, man. I love it. Yeah, but I'm really sick and tired, Scott, of reading about men who choose to take their family's life along with them. So my idea was that I was going to do a whole kind of routine based on men, if you're feeling this, if you feel compelled to um, uh, take your life and the life of your family members, go first. You know, <laughs> I want you to be the leader in this. You're yeah. the man. Yeah. You've got to set that, the nice. example. I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, interject and say... It's probably more likely that the woman would take the children's life. Did you know that? It's more, no. more common for a, for a female to take the child's life than the than the male. Well, there you go. That's interesting. But I, well, again, I would just say it's uh, the way society is is. Uh, well, it's not worth talking about justifications, but the way society is uh, compelled for the woman to, to be there at home, and the man can pretty much go off and yeah. and, and and not be seeing. Um, yeah, God, tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy. So if you don't start trying to find some sort of uh, – you never find an answer, so you might as well come up with some smart-ass questions, I find, which is, you know, jokes. Well, you know, satire. Yeah. Sometimes 
some incredible Hills. satire, yeah. some really good stuff from from yeah. people can really nail it. But yeah. um, still really concerned about the depression of young people and the issues that Do are coming through. Do you find it in school? Have you, have you seen it? You're still teaching in normal no, I, public? I, I, I just quit that last term and now I'm, I'm working uh, um, on, on sort of pretend teaching really. I'm playing a role at, great. at a place. It's fantastic. Well, it's so much mentioned. fun. And it is awesome yeah, fun. Because you get to be a more – you could do things in this role that you mm-hmm. could never do. In, exactly. Yeah. In fact, they wanted more of it. Can I'd, you cane them? Well, no, you would um, – What if they're particularly naughty? Oh, you'd take them out and you would uh, say, okay, I'm going to pretend to cane you now because you're being a bit Oops, of a Oops, slipped. Role. I actually did it. Oh, damn. You're Sorry. a little shit. <laughs> yeah. I've got some stories about that place. Oh yeah. About schools that have gone there in the past, mm-hmm. um, that w- would make yeah you'd you'd go I'd want to hurt this child, like some schools in general uh-huh. from the Melbourne West yeah have come to Sovereign Hill and mm-hmm. and really torn shit up and um, the people in your role now um, or similar roles they've really just gone oh, man I <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple of them have manhandled them, like no child. You... Oh, well, that's interesting yeah. because I'd, I'd seen more and more of that happening in our regular schools where teachers have just hit the limit of um, being able to, um, you know, you hear that all the time and, and a lot of it gets swept And in, the instantly they're the demon. Well, yes yeah, or no? there's a whole bunch of, about teaching that I would love to um, to rant about. But you can't. Well, I fully understand in some that. degree I... Uh, the only thing I'll say is that I, I think the system is, it, it is beyond deeply flawed. Um, came from the Industrial Revolution, really, the model, and it's pretty much the same thing. Where you have the one person up the front and you have the rows of kids. And we are teaching, miles Teaching behind. the children to be good factory workers. Pretty much. And, and, like the, and the ability to get around and give um, an individual student what they, what they require... It's just never really happened, and you just hope you get uh, uh, the kind of kid that is um, willing to do what you've been told to do to them, mm. um, or you're stuffed. And more and more times you're stuffed because there's kids with uh, incredible intelligence and incredible originality that just think it's bullshit, and they are right. And so I was just finding more and more I couldn't make peace with um, mm. with the system. I just think it... I have a theory and it got laughed at, but I had a theory and I'd, I'd be interested to know what you think about this, where we shut the schools down for a year and the teachers keep going and the teachers relearn everything and they say, we have to approach this differently. So, so what do you yeah. mean? Like, I mean the kids stay home because right. whatever we're doing, uh, these kind of Band-Aid effects or these short-term ways of teaching, that that, that went to seep into an already... Um, yeah. failed system in my opinion yep. and so this was met with shock horror because the world would stop society would crumble people would have a heart attack but my point is childcare would do okay well <laughs> yeah exactly but um, and it's chaos it's a chaos theory but send them home look after them for a year you you tell them what you think is wrong and right and you you give them what you can while the teachers are spending at least one year learning through inst- uh information and uh, data and everything else they need, and especially with technology, how to give them the best education they can. 
because we can't do it midstream. What do you think of Steiner and Montessori? Only anecdotally, I, I know that there have been some great kids and I don't know the second one. I know the Steiner one and there's been some... Montessori is very similar. Is it? Yeah. Um, it's um, teaching it... Look, I'll probably get this wrong because I'm, cause I'm um, only going on what I've heard, but yeah. it's basically teaching the child in a way that... So if they're interested in, say, history, you would, you would um, do your maths... Based on history, so okay. so you, yeah. And if they if they go to, in a play situation, if they went to a certain, um, play thing, yep. like blocks, then yep. you'd go well, well. Let's teach them geometry. Yep. But using those, those blocks. This sounds freaking awesome to me. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it fascinating. Sounds, it sounds really fascinating. It sounds like a lot of. Uh, a, a lot of good work and a lot of um, finding out who that person is in front of you that you need to teach and spending a lot of time uh, making a curriculum. Uh, it's very individual always, and I, I don't know. Yeah. Like They keep saying that we – schools keep saying they're offering individuals curriculum and let me put it they here. They can't. They can't and they don't. No. And, um, and, you know, I could get in trouble for saying that, but it's, it's just well, the you, truth. You, well, I can't. Well, I can't. You quit. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You can say whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so Sovereign here. Great teachers out there and, and, and great kids and uh, the two uh, should meet one day. Um, what were you going to say? <laughs> Sovereign Hill. That's good for you. Yeah. You're enjoying it? Yes, yeah. but I signed a contract to say I wouldn't. I, we're talking about think like I. No, we're not going to talk about that. Oh, no, but just the fact that I think I honestly feel that I signed some sort of contract when you can with a business, that you would not um, – well, this is the only thing I can think of that's potentially that to talk about, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, no, I wasn't I'm, even like – Yeah, no, sorry. To, that I, subject. I'm not trying to pull you yeah. up, but I'm just trying to remember because yeah. I've only been there for a few months. But I have a very strong feeling that um, it might not be that free and easy to talk about. Uh, no, it's a corporation. Yeah, there you go. That's fair enough. I'm sure they've, they've, they've got that somewhere written down. Yeah. But Did hey, you not I, read I, what you signed. Um, <laughs> I've probably got a copy somewhere. Okay, I should have read what Perhaps I signed. You should. But look, I think it's wonderful for me to um, to walk in. You open the door, and there's this beautiful office of eighteen uh, fifties, uh, just as a and not no technology in sight. Like I, I've got to make sure I don't sound like an anti-technology person. It's only a because ludite. I didn't know how to use it, and um, and the kids do. Um, and this is another issue that uh, um, we're expected to be able to teach uh, kids how to use this technology. I mean, I think it'd be a fair bet to say that a lot of, a lot of the teachers um, yeah. don't know half as much as the kids. And I think it's really quite destructive. I'm talking to, to many young uh, to parents of young people and, and the main gist of absolute blow-up horrors are... Um, trying to get that phone off and story of um, one dear friend who was uh, had a um, looking after a child uh, through out of care sort of and the, the child refused to come anymore because they tried to put a, um, a, a limit on um, Fortnite and things like that. And Fuck me, really? We can go on and on about this sort of stuff, but what do we expect? What do, what, well, so, what do people expect? So here's my thing. like They're encouraged to use iPads and laptops 
yeah. technology in school. Yeah. And then they turn around and say that they can't have these this technology in yeah. in schools. Yeah. Like obviously Fortnite and like they can't be doing that. Mm-hmm. But the kids don't understand that. I don't know whether it's been made clear to them that, like, yeah, we want you to be tech savvy. Yeah. We want you to have these apps loaded on your phone and we want you to be able to, but you can't. Yeah. And the kids are just looking like they know bullshit. They really know bullshit. When, so even when you say that, and it's true what they say, they're saying, you've got no control over what we know tech savvy wise because, again, we, we're more savvy than you at the moment. Yeah. And so, and how can you differentiate between, um, what you want us to do with this almighty power uh, that is endless, mm. um, and uh, it's a it's an amazing thing that I we never saw with science fiction. Like I just love my science fiction. I love Blade Runner as my favorite movie of God, all time, man. And all this stuff we never saw it. Who saw it coming? Someone will prove to me that there's, there's a famous sci-fi author that saw it coming. Yeah, there'll be, there'll be some scene, some film or a, or a paragraph in a book. And But do they actually yeah. imagine us all on that train or walking up that road or um, even when you're driving up uh, uh, Weemonth Road in Alfred and watching the cars coming the other way, that they are all on their fucking phones? Have you seen um, the film Her? Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice? Um, I'm gonna. I ask this to a lot of people. Did you notice? No. You know, he's in. He's in. It's the whole. Um, the you're in g- love with your app. Yeah. And the voice and the app. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you're just a lonely person. And yeah, yeah. But you're almost having a kind of fulfilling life until yeah. he until he kind of gets hurt by the fact that she's um, being this intimate partner to that's not billions it. of other people. No, it's. I'm, I noticed it, and I'm going to have to rewatch it just to prove my point because I thought that's interesting. You t- you've I'm, got to probably, tell me. I'm probably going to spoil it for you. No, because I I did I don't know I watched it and I was starting to sort of tire a little. So you you tell me what I might have missed when he's talking to her in any um, public situation. Mm-hmm. They're all talking to her too. Everyone oh, else. That's so cool. Yeah. Everyone else behind him, around him, sitting next to him, in the distance, wow, is also talking to her. That's fantastic. I mean, it's it's terrible, but it, it's but such it makes a cool concept. Like, it does. Fuck. Yeah, How blew my mind that? when I. I'm like, there was one scene. I was in a like a park, like a Central Park type scene. Yeah, and I'm like, everyone in the background's doing the same thing. Wow. And some people were walking. Some people were sitting. Yeah. Yeah. That's mind blowing, literally. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, um, that sort of ties it in with the ending, like yeah, you know. Now I will watch again. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to now because I hope I'm right. But I remember seeing that scene. I'm like, fuck, that's what's going on. Yeah, my wife hates me when we watch films together, especially those ones with the big um, twists. Yeah, I'm like, I saw oh, oh my god, that's. And then 20 minutes later or 10 minutes later, it'll happen. And I'm like, she just looks at me, you're a freak. Yeah, and you're <laughs> ruining this experience yeah, for yeah. me. Um, yeah, you're spoiling it 10 minutes. I, I don't ever say what's going on, but I'm just like, <gasps> I know. Yeah. yeah. I watched one last night called Give Me Shelter, which is really interesting about it. I, I like your take on it. Not the Stones doco? No, it's not the Stones doco. It's obviously they've taken it from um, a line of that song, I reckon. 
where this man is feeling and seeing and hallucinating what he sees as the end of the world with storms and birds in the sky and stuff like that. But it's paralleling. Everyone just thinks he's got a mental illness. So he's he's, he's building a shelter in the back of his house. And, yeah. and he's losing his job and his friends because of it and the strain on his marriage is immense because of this obsession he has. Mm. And it really leaves it open uh, to whether or not he was right or not in the end. But it's just an interesting parallel about um, this man's inability to um, to articulate and to get help. But at the same time, you're constantly thinking, is was he, he right? Is he onto it? Um, I like those films that never give you a a, a clear. Um, you don't know. Well, I think yeah, that, that maybe they leave you wanting. Or yeah. Blade Runner was like that. I just yeah. thought Blade Runner did that so perfectly over the years that it's just always my go-to in terms of. Um, you can have legitimate arguments with people about mm. whether the end is the end or not. Um, yeah. And the new one? I was really quite um, impressed with that new one. I loved it. I thought it was it was almost too reverential. Like, you know when sometimes you get something, they wanted to make sure they didn't fuck up because of the original? It's pretty important because even the cinematography for the original was like, yeah, for its time. Oh, Fuck me. Unbelievable. Yeah. Really. And I could just tell that they were being so reverential. Not a criticism, but I feel like they were sort of caught up a little in in um, um, almost the opposite to why I really liked the last Star Wars. And I, I won't go into it with you. I don't know how you felt about it. But I just thought they took some real risks. They weren't reverential with, with Luke Skywalker's story. And they said, we're going to do something here. And they went with it. And I really dug it. But some people, especially a lot of I, fucking freaks. Yeah, I mean, like the, a lot of the guys that are into the canon of the whole Star Wars universe. They, like, they, they wanted to kill the, someone. Yeah, over it's it. like, you can't do that. It's like, but I thought, why? Why not? I thought it was brave and yeah. original and yeah. never saw it coming. And, yeah. um, and these were things that I thought the Blade Runner film, they were more trapped in the, in the, but oh God, it was amazing. I thought it was a really, I probably should watch it again. I really enjoyed it. I love the cyberpunk stuff. Like um, um, Neuromancer, William Gibson's one of my favourite novels. Oh yeah, ever. Yeah, right. It's mind blowing. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we'll have to. Uh, oh, what was the opening line? I'm not sure. It was the opening line or the the? the I'm probably going to fuck this up, but I'll say it anyway. The sky was the colour of a TV screen static or something like that it's like gibson the name really yeah. rings a bell no I'll, ch- I'll check it out because yeah science fiction there's something about it it's such an escapism where um you can really kind of lose yourself but it can be so well done that it can mirror all the shit that's going on in life Do anyway you reckon some of those those old science fiction guys the authors would would come back now and look around and go yeah i was fucking right about that oh, i reckon <laughs> i be- nailed that yeah, there could be um, well, the great guy that uh, wrote All Summer in a Day where these kids are on the on a planet and um, it only the rain it only stops raining for three hours every seven years. And he's a great. It's a Ballarat. Yeah, it could well be, <laughs> couldn't it? And so this one little girl has come to Mars, um, and she's the only girl that's ever seen what it can be like without rain, and all her school kid mates resent her for it. So when um, it comes to um, stop raining, 
they've all locked her in the cupboard and they've left her there. For, and she was dying, literally dying, because she's so depressed because there's no son. Oh. Who's that author? God damn. Don't you hate being on a podcast oh, and looking like a fool for not having all Ray Bradbury. Bradbury's fantastic. Yeah, see? Yeah. He, he's a he's a master science fiction yeah. and storyteller. Um thank God. The time travel one he did. Was it called The Time Travelers? Oh. It may have been. It's only about that. It's like not even ten centimeters thin. Well, this was a short story. Yeah. The one I just mentioned. It's great, so. like Kurt Vonnegut, guys like that. Yeah, um, amazing. J.G. Ballard, I think. Oh God, yeah. We could we could go on and on. How long do your? I don't know. What are we going for go now? Like I'm looking at that screen and I'm thinking, um, what's it mean? 1985. We're, 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 we're up to 1985. <laughs> <laughs> so you got this list goes no, we're, we're well over 77 minutes here. 969985. That's, that's good. You know, like if people persevere this long they're going to get some gold at the end of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Or they'll need to go and have a big poo. Either yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> um anything else you want to you want to Okay, I've got a couple of questions that I okay, have to good. ask. Nice. Okay. Um I might get you back on track. So inspirations so personal inspirations for you, and I'd like to – I want to tie it back to Ballarat, the hometown. Um, local inspirations. Yep. A national, international. You can combine all those into one or two or – but just, just people, artists. Sure. I would immediately say Terry Byrne, who was in the front man of the Five O'Clock Shadows. He was one I of the first – going to say that. Yeah. Well, he was yeah. one of the first bands that I remember seeing and – but before, I remember um, walking into the Bridge Mall Inn when I was 17 and he was singing a song in the corner, just doing a solo thing. Uh, and it was um, a song by John Prine called Sam Stone. And I'm, I'm good. For the, I'm going to sit on this red wine because I'm going to be driving. And I've only had half a glass. If that. Officer. And um, he sang this song about a Vietnam vet who comes back and he's addicted to morphine. And um, he fucks everything up. And I thought, this is the most amazing story I've ever heard. And Terry was a really charismatic performer. And um, uh, so him, just to see this really charismatic guy doing the storytelling thing. We've got a night tomorrow night of 30 years of the Dead Salesman of where artists are going to come and play. And Terry, I'm hoping, finishes the night. But he's so crook. Um, he's got emphysema and... He's, he in, can't. he's in bad shape, yeah. and I don't even know if he can travel from Castlemaine for it. So I've been thinking a lot about him today. So when you mentioned that, he's just the first and foremost that comes to mind. Um, and he introduced me to the Loudon Wainwright III, who I, a big singer-songwriter loomed large in my um, appreciation. Uh, he sang a song called Motel Blues, which is a fascinating insight into a person who's on the road all the time who, who really – Want somebody to come back to their motel room, and it's just that simple, and it doesn't have any metaphors, doesn't have any artifice, it doesn't have any. Uh, uh, it's not even proclaiming this guy to be a pretty good guy. It's uh, what does he say at some stage? He says, you know, come back to my motel room, save my life. You know, I'll buy a breakfast. They'll think you're my wife. Come back to my motel room, save my life. And it's like, wow, I've never really heard songs like that before. You know, that, that I don't know, that. Um, it was a big influence because I'm just going to quote one of your lines now. Oh, okay. And, and, it, and 
it particularly resonated with me um, when Jamie Keane passed. And we did that um, the Bridge Mallian gig to raise money for Tracy and the kids. Yep. And I was sitting, standing right next to Tracy in the crowd, and you're saying, if karma is real, oh, if yeah, karma yeah. is true, you'll come back as me oh, and oh. I'll come back as you. Is that right? Well, actually. Or did yeah, I paraphrase that? Yeah, no. no that's and right. I wept. Yeah, right. Um, I Actually, yeah, I had that as, I had that as, uh, if karma is real and true, I'll come back as me and you'll come back that's, as you. Me, well, And meaning that if karma, if you did a great job, um, you get to do it again. Mm. And that's how I kind of felt. If you did a shit job, you get to, re, you know, repeat your mistakes. And, and Trace just, she almost collapsed when she yeah. heard that. And I'm like, Wow. Yeah, that was uh, uh, unbelievable, really. And uh, even though as young people, and I know how dear a friend you were with Jamie, where I was able to um, play in bands with him and, and really, really enjoy his company and his dryness and uh, uh, his bullshit detector, everything that about fucking him. laugh. Yeah, and a wonderful laugh. Um, I still was young enough to think that there could be um, – a happy ending. Or I was young enough to think that whatever's going on right now is a it's a mistake of some description. I was Even told it was. Really? I was that concerned about it. I went to a psychic and she was an absolute charlatan. Oh, she said, Christ. he'll be all right. Oh, Christ. Maybe she was right. Maybe when she said, he'll be all right. She's talking about other planes or something. Maybe. I don't know, but it just destroyed me. And, you know, I, I missed his actual passing by about five minutes. And here's a story. I was there during the during my lunch. I used to go over there during my lunchtime break, and I had these overalls on, and I couldn't sit down properly because the wallet. So I left my wallet on the bench, and I had no plan on coming back that day. But after work, I'm like, I've got to go back. So I went back there, and I got to the front door, and his um, mother's partner at that stage greeted me at the door and said, "You've just missed him." Like five minutes, he's just passed. I wouldn't have gone back there, and you know, I got to help hold his hand, and it was pretty awesome, pretty special moment. Wow, because um, uh, the only uh, uh, the only thing I can think of is my dear friend Patty O'Driscoll um passing away God. in two thousand and eleven. Yeah, really good friend, and um, the phone rang. It was his name uh, at eleven o'clock. I'd, I'd been off the piss trying to get my shit together, and I, it was no. It was about midnight, and I thought, oh. And I never not answered his phone calls because he's one of the funniest men ever. And it was never anything other than to tell me some funny anecdote. That he, but I didn't answer it, and um, it wasn't until the next morning that I realised it was his wife ringing because he'd collapsed in the lounge room, and um, uh. And it's just one of those terrible things to to know that I I didn't answer and I could have jumped in the car and at least had that um, that moment some sort of moment of closure yeah. with him even though he was already deceased. Um. So, yeah, um, friendships that uh, define you and, and your life, uh, and when that friend responsible for that friendship goes, mm. it's the most significant. We're all gonna go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and I think with age, we sort of, like I do, I, I realise that, like, you know, it's all fleeting. Yeah. 
um, Jamie and Patty and Wayne and everyone else. Pete Crevin. Crevin. Peter Crevin is another one that, um, yeah, it still kind of haunts me. But anyway, I'm sure it does for many. Yeah. It does because the last time I saw Pete, he was um, at the Mallow and he didn't know, didn't know who I was. He was almost asleep. Oh, this is, I don't know. don't know. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's tragic. We don't want to talk about that. We want to lighten the mode a bit. Um, it's joke time. Oh, right. Okay. This is how we finish. Well, yeah. I've just decided right uh, now yep. we're going to finish with a joke. Right, yeah. Have you got a joke? Shit. You're okay. not a very funny person. Have you ever found you're in a situation, right, and like the situation's quite unique to you but probably relatable to others hopefully, right? You're in this situation and um, um, uh, this scenario sort of unfolds in the situation. Oh, no, sorry. That was my joke. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, God, I went on Deb Ward's um, podcast thing where it's on filmed and everything and they put me on the spot and they said, have you got oh, a joke? See, I was thinking about doing the whole filmed thing. Film thing and I just got up and pretended to try and find a joke in my pocket and then I sat down missing the chair. It was the most lame-ass Chevy Chase bullshit slapstick piece of crap joke. And brilliant. And it went well. Yeah. I was quite happy with it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm doing a gig on Monday night. I thought I had a few up my sleeve. I'm sure I did. Um but anyway, I've got I've got a couple, but they're super long. One is particularly long, yeah. and you can drag it out. And um, your friend of mine, Bryn Hills, told me this joke many years ago on oh, a bus right. trip. We were doing a, a, a tour with a band we were working with at the time, and I I can't tell it now because it's too long. Uh, I've got another one, but it's extremely racist. Ah, uh. well, it's not. <sighs> yeah, it could be considered racist. Because yeah. of the accent that I have to use ah. to tell the joke. Uh huh. Well, yeah, there you go. And it's good night for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish I could think of it. Just, uh, just uh, a couple ready and waiting up my sleeve. Um, uh, but damn, you know, when it comes to the time, it's like that classic joke of uh, my favourite cartoon is the frog in the box uh, from the 1950s where this guy opens up this... Um, uh, building is, and he, he knocks over a, and he finds a box and he opens it and a frog jumps out and the frog goes, hello, my darling, hello, my baby, hello, my ragtime gal. And he goes, I'm going to make a fortune with this frog. He takes the frog to all the um, agencies and the frog just goes, won't do it in front of him. Yeah. And every time he gets kicked out of the agency, <laughs> sitting with the frog in the street, a pauper and the frog will go, come on, my darling, who gets a cat and uh, a <laughs> hat. Oh, so clever. And it's just some sort of metaphor for life where you'll never... I remember that. I've seen yeah, that. It's yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Um, if you put it in um, classic Warner Brothers frog cartoon, it'll come <laughs> up. And I think it just sums up life, I reckon. Yeah. Whenever it's time... Someone talked about Bob Geldof on 3BA today. He's coming to Ballarat for some reason next year. and Because, th- again, 3BA. Uh, you're good you're not listening to it. And knowing me, I did... Well, I, I do see that on Facebook. Yeah. And I did comment. Did you? Yeah. Because they were asking, what would you ask Bob Geldof? You want to know? Where's where's the money, Bob? Uh, (laughs) Where's the fucking money? Yeah. Look, I read Is That It? And there seemed to be the money was taken out of his hands between that and Africa and squandered because of inefficient 
not knowing what the fuck they were doing. But it's not not a um, it's a pretty common story with charities. Yeah, I mean, so much of it gets gobbled up in just yeah. admin, yeah, and bureaucracy, and I mean, yeah. even the white white ribbon foundation, yeah, yeah, right. even they're suffering from it now. I mean, um, people are pulling like sponsors are pulling out because look, I'm going to give some dodgy figures here, but I think in the millions that they made last year, um, after expenses, including wages, yeah. it was like $200,000 left. Unbelievable. Maybe close to 300000 I don't want to lowball it, but... Well, and that's pretty common with charities. It's unreal, isn't it? Like, we, we when the floods happened, when was it, 2010, Patio still had the mellow... And um, we had a day there and people were putting, giving money into a big jar and Patio said, now take it to the bank on Monday and you'll have to fill out these forms and it'll go to all these different registered parts of it. Mm. I said, oh, yeah, fair enough. And I was driving home and uh, at the same time, the uh, CFA or a whole bunch of them were lights. Yeah. And I just pulled all the money out and stuck it into one guy's bucket because I thought, well, I'm cutting out some middlemen. Yeah, here. you're going to make sure it gets there. Well, that's the thing, though. I got home and I thought, well, this is a real test for this um, this particular guy at the, at the corner of um, Gillies Road and um, uh, where we were. Uh, I hope he did the right thing. It was only about $1,200. <laughs> He's like, my bucket's full. My bucket's fucking full. I think I'm knocking off Sarge yeah. or whatever. And I just... But I was just thinking that. I was thinking, wow, I'm meant to fill out the, all this bureaucracy and I'm just wondering if this might just shave one level of that bureaucracy off. Probably didn't. Well done, sir. Oh, no. I didn't want to finish with me uh, attempting to um, say I'm a, I'm a good guy. I remember that was just like, what are we going to do? We have to do something. No, we're going to finish on that now. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and... Uh, if you ever want to talk about uh, my love for uh, for our Saviour Jesus Christ, have me back, and God bless you. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, Justin Hap Haywood, it's been awesome. Thanks very much, Scott. Yeah, and I'll and I'll never listen back to this because I'll I'll uh, regret a lot of things. But I really no. did enjoy the process. Well, you will. Is there anywhere anywhere you want to like? You don't have a website, or you don't. No, no, no. Just look out for for Hap on the. Stand-up oh, stand circuit? Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, Hap Hayward is my nickname. I, um, I'm sometimes doing stand-up. I, uh, I sometimes play music with the Dead Salesman still. Well, and you yeah, can't promote tomorrow night because it's by the time out. I get this up. And it's sold out. Mind you, they can only fit 50 people in the room. It's a good venue, the main bar. Yeah, we thought we'd go with something nice and small yep. uh, as opposed to nothing at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now you have to nominate someone else for the podcast. Oh, wow. Yes, right. Um, nominating someone else for the podcast. Now you have a bit of a, a, a connection to the people you have nominated, which helps, doesn't it really? like you've I, I, of... Look, it's not necessary, but I do like to... To have that time. Yeah. I've got a few on the list that you would already know anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, please... Oh, nice. Yeah, well, that would make total sense. Yeah. Um, uh, Andrew Blizzard, Paul Haynes, is, um, any of those guys, like they're just such bloody amazing, great people. Yeah. Um, do you know what I would like to see one day? I would like the other Scott Wright in my life to be sitting Fuck opposite me. you. Can that we do that? Be, that would be just fantastic. 
I'll tell you a story. Bridge Mullin, and I'd always heard about Scott Wright, the more famous Scott Wright, not me. Um, the the artist, the Earth Theatre Company I, dude. I was always the other Scott Wright. Yeah. And it's funny, years later, a lot of Facebook people added me because they thought that I was That's right, the maybe. other Scott <laughs> yeah. Wright. Um, but whatever, I'm not. I'm not bitter at all. Fuck you. <laughs> Um, yeah, that'd be cool if we could get because he's got some. He's a, a fascinating dude, and he doesn't hold back, and he's lived a very interesting life. And um, uh, God, yeah. that would be really cool. Right, the Redactive Audio Podcasts host Scott Wright with <laughs> guest Scott Wright. Let's do that. The internet will eat itself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hap. Thank you very much, Excellent. mate. Thank you. Mate. We're Pleasure. shaking hands on air. Yes, I just and I hey. bumped the microphone. Oh, fuck, he's ruined the whole thing. God. Took me two and a half hours to bump the microphone. That's pretty good for me. Thanks, man. Thank you. Rejected.